Welcome to the Sunday Tennis Q&A with High Performance Coach Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally respected author and educator and is regarded as one of the leading junior development coaches in the world. Join Chris Weekly for the most intelligent tennis talk show on the planet as Chris answers questions from his audience around the world. And now, here's Chris. Hello. How you doing? It's Chris. And I'm here live Sunday night Q&A with Chris. That's me, Chris Lewitt. Welcome everybody. Welcome friends. Welcome longtime listeners and viewers. And welcome to anyone who's new to the program. I'm here with my co-host Sammy, also known as Sam Malama Ding Dong. Sammy, Sammy, say hello. Also known as Cutie Pie Sam. My kids have a lot of nicknames for our dog. Here, I'll go say hello for a minute. Sammy wants to go for a nap at the couch, but I didn't let him. Hey, Sammy, how you doing? Hey, say hello. Say hello to everybody. Say hi. Hey, there we go. Say hello. Say hi. Those are all the friends. That's my boy, Sammy. He's my hairless American terrier. American hairless terrier. Thank you for helping with the show tonight, keeping me company late at night. I had a really long day, very long day teaching on the court today, and now I am finishing up the day with a Sunday night talk show where we talk tennis and we talk high performance and things like that. I hope you guys are having a good night. I really appreciate you guys tuning in very late. On a Sunday night, I was teaching very late tonight, so I was a little bit late getting on the show. We may have to start the show at 10 p.m. for you night owls if I keep doing late night lessons on a Sunday night. But, Sammy, what do you want? You want... All right, he wants to go to the couch. I'm going to let him go because he's such a good boy. All right, you're going to go to the couch? You're going to go night-night there? There he goes. He's going. Watch this. Oh, say hi. Oh, you're going to sleep there, huh? Okay. Okay, I get a little Sammy time. All right, take a nap. He's going to do his night-night on the couch. All right, I'm in my kitchen, guys. I'm in uh, the New York City area here. I'm actually on the, the New Jersey side of Manhattan, but I'm about five minutes from New York City. And this is where we broadcast from every Sunday night, from my kitchen. And Sammy is my co-host and best buddy, kind of keeps me company on a Sunday night. So on this show, we like to talk about high-performance tennis, and we talk about technique and, you know, sometimes tactics, uh, junior development. Any of the hot topics that are going around in high-performance are definitely on my agenda. They're on my radar, and I'd be happy to speak with you guys about especially technique, building technique. I usually bring a few topics to the program, and you're also welcome to bring any questions or topics that you want to discuss, and we tend to have a very intelligent discussion on this late Sunday night program. So I appreciate you guys tuning in and, and you know, mulling over the, the big issues in tennis, especially in, in high-performance tennis, which is my specialty and my, my niche. So let's see, we already have our first... Uh, comment and people are starting to sign on and tune in. 
Let's see. It looks like my buddy Jai. Jai, is that you? I I think that's the same Jai who came to uh, brought his son to work with me in my camp in Vermont this summer. Very talented little boy. Let's see. Jai says, "Hey, Chris, enjoyed listening to your previous shows. Keep them coming, Coach." All right. Well, that's a great word of encouragement from Jai. Thank you, my my amigo. Thank you very much. How's the little guy doing? He's got a really talented uh, junior player. Is he staying with the one-hander, or did you guys go back to two? How's the one-hander coming along? Let me know. We were working on that last summer, and um, I'm curious to, to know if he stayed with the one-hander or if he moved to uh, two. So let me know, Jai. Yeah, I'm glad people appreciate this show. You know, I know a lot of people are listening to the show now on podcast which is the new the new way that we're broadcasting we have all of the podcast platforms now we're on iTunes and Google Play and Stitch pretty much every anyone who loves uh, you know all your favorite podcast platforms we're doing that now so that's pretty cool so you can listen to yours truly if you really like to listen to me <laughs> on uh, on your way to work, in the car, or when you're exercising, or whatever, what have you. And that's not another way you can listen to the program. Uh, also, all of the archives of the show go to YouTube. So, uh, so at the, the, uh, the, our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt, you can also catch all of our broadcasts there. They're all saved in an archive there. If you missed the show and you want to catch up on the latest tennis talk, especially high-performance talk. You can let me know. Uh, Jai says it's pronounced J. Sorry, J. My bad. Sounds like your son's staying with the one-hander, and that, that's pretty cool. Although, that's a good segue to my first topic of the night, which is about having two forehands, which, sorry to say, Jay, not to cast any shade on your son's game, but I really do believe that the one-handed backhand should go the way of the dodo. You know, it should it should go extinct at some point in the future, or at least close to extinction. I don't know if it classifies as close to extinction yet, but it really probably should. And I want to even go one step further and say that I think the two-handed backhand, although it's very, very alive and well now, it, it could transition into the next evolution of tennis technique, which I think is a forehand and having two forehands. So I've been posting about that this week on Facebook and some other social media channels. And I'd like to explore that topic with you guys, the idea of having two forehands. I know that there are some haters out there. And some folks told me that I was a, a a negligent coach and I should get out of the business <laughs> that I shouldn't even be in the business of coaching because I had such an outrageous idea you know oh boy I challenged the status quo and now I, I shouldn't even be coaching at all I'm, I'm a terrible person and coach and I had some folks making fun of me and telling me that I'm an idiot I don't understand human human biology or biomechanics or whatever and I had some folks say that, actually, you know what? It's kind of interesting. What's this guy talking about? 
And I posted some cool videos of one of the, one boy that I'm working with right now who is ambidextrous and he's able to play with two forehands and we're sort of exploring that and it's a very interesting subject for me. It's a very interesting aspect of training for me. You know, as a technical coach, as someone who does a lot of hardware work, you know, I love to work on the hardware of a player. I will tell you guys that I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a little bored with teaching asymmetrical technique. You know, the way everyone does it now, it's a little boring to me. And I guess out of boredom spurs, boredom spurs creativity. And in some ways, I think that it's just, does anyone get tired of teaching the technique the way it's always been done? Because I'm sort of tired of that. Do I have most of my players who play uh, asymmetrically? Yes, most of my players play asymmetrically, but I really would like to explore training more players symmetrically. And what I mean by symmetrically is with either two single-handed forehands, two double-handed forehands, or two double-handed backhands. And so either one of those variations of those three would qualify as symmetrical to me. But it's also, it's also the serve. I believe the serve should be taught symmetrically. I, I would really like to evolve the serve to the point where we could teach more players symmetrical serves, that is lefty and righty serves, dual hand serving. And I, I would like to see the footwork. For me, the footwork is very important. I would like to see symmetrical footwork. So that means, for me, the future is uh, semi-open and open stances on both sides. So I would like to see the footwork evolve more symmetrically and the stroke work evolve, the hand work evolve uh, symmetrically. There are three ways you can do it. Uh, unless I missed one, I don't think there's another way. Ah, you could have, it is possible to have two single-handed backhands on both sides, but for me, I don't think that's ideal. Biomechanically, I'm not a huge fan of the one-handed backhand. But you can have two slices, uh, and a lot of double-handed players over the years who are ambidextrous, they, have, they are able to slice off of both wings, uh, whether it's a forehand slice or two backhand slices. So that is an, also an interesting aspect to the, to the symmetrical discussion. You know, the slice off both sides and the topspin off both sides and the footwork off both sides. But... Getting back to the way I see the progression over the years, the history, you know, I see a game that was dominated by continental grip and one-handed backhand and very flat strokes and slice strokes, you know, going back into the early 20th century. And, you know, let's take a walk down Hist walk down history lane here, or the, at least tennis history lane, and sort of the way I see the evolution of tennis, at least technically, definitely from a hardware perspective, is that the game was very flat. The game was very, very single grip, like uni grip with with um, continental, and there was a lot of chip and slice. And over the decades, what have we seen? We've seen uh, the game, the grips have changed a lot. You see more excessive grips, extreme grips. 
you see a lot more topspin. You know, topspin is a big deal nowadays. And you see, a, back in the day, a lot most people played with one hand. You know, you had a backhand, which was more uh, external, like the external rotation of the shoulder. And then you have the forehand, which is like the internal rotation of the shoulder. And, and that's sort of the way it went. And most people played with kind of, you know, simple grips like continental, maybe an eastern forehand. And let's say in the, you know, were there a few double-handed players like maybe in the 60s? I'm thinking, you know, when was like, I'm thinking Cliff Drysdale. Was he 60s, maybe 70s? I'm thinking around 70s, you have a few pockets of players starting to show up with double-handed backhands which is a very interesting evolution in, in technique. They were kind of stiff double-handed backhands, by and large, but they were double-handed nevertheless, nonetheless. And the forehand has evolved tremendously since middle, let's say, middle 20th century. Forehand is now, you know, semi-Western to Western, and the topspin generation has been increased tremendously. You know, the, the, the level of RPMs that players are putting on their forehands is, is, is incredible. And I think this is all that can all be documented by, you know, sports science study or high-speed video study or what have you. And the backhand has, how has the backhand evolved? The backhand has evolved into predominantly two-handed styles. And the two-handers are able to produce some topspin, but not nearly as much as the forehand, the modern forehand. Modern two-handed backhands don't produce the same amount of RPM as the modern forehand. And so what my thought process is that, you know, how can we make a, a backhand that can produce the RPM of the modern forehand and the only way that I can think of doing it is by making it not a backhand anymore and by making it a forehand <laughs> because I think I, I may be wrong and I'm not a biomechanist I'm a coach you know I'm a technical coach I have studied a lot of biomechanics and in tennis and sports but you know unless I'm wrong and guys feel free to chime in you know this is uh, a discussion as well I see a, a lot of the the regulars on the program are waving and tuning in, but feel free to add your thoughts or, and any questions you may have. But my thought process is that the only way I'm going to get the RPM on the backhand side that you see on the modern forehand is by not making it a backhand, by making it a forehand. So that's sort of where I'm coming from. And so I guess that's where my thought process is right now. I want to I want to know how I can make a backhand that's heavy, like a, a typical modern forehand. And to get that, I need ambidexterity. I need a certain level of ambidexterity in my players, and I need a four. I need to build two forehands, preferably two modern, you know, semi-western, let's say, to western with semi-open stances and a lot of explosion and a lot of hip rotation and, and, you know, angular momentum and stuff like that. All that good stuff, you know. And, and to get the 
to get the, t the technique that the way it's going to work for players, I need ambidexterity. So that leads you down a road where you start thinking, okay, I want to make a, a backhand that's heavy, that's got big RPM. I want it to be a forehand. So I want to have two forehands. And I'm going to need to learn how to train ambidexterity in young kids. And I think that's what, what's going to happen. I think the ambidextrous training will start very young. And Jay says, sorry if I forgot your, your name pronunciation, Jay. But Jay says, he's chiming in again here, and he says, it would have to begin at the very start of training at age five. Right, I think it may start even younger than that. It may start at two or three years old. Uh, certainly by four, five, or six, that would be ideal to start developing the, the, the ambidextrous qualities. You know, and I just think that with the technology that we have and with the way science is going, that this will be a field of, you know, human study, uh, human science that that we will learn. We're going to learn to do this with young kids, you know, and right now we have some really cool new science and technology surrounding eye training. You know, we're learning how to make the eyes more efficient and more acute and to improve the tracking skills of the eyes through the use of technology. And, you know, there, there are these very cool, you know, glasses you can, you can wear now and train with to increase the visual capacity of the eyes and capability of the eyes. And there's software and apps you can use, and there's a lot of science and research going into eye study, for example. I'm not an expert on it. It's an area that I'm interested in reading and, and exploring more. But I feel that in these in the realm of ambidexterity and and laterality, laterality is the study of dominance in the body. It's called laterality. So whatever you want to call it, in laterality and in, in uh, when it comes to ambid the ambidextrous qualities of a human being, I feel that it's perfectly reasonable that over the next the decades to come, we will find a way to to train athletes, not just tennis players, but athletes in general to become more proficient uh, at, in their ambidextrous qualities, you know, to be, more, uh, to be more proficient in both lefty and righty skills. And so that being my thesis, my hypothesis, let's say, you know, that, that's, that is a jumping off point for me to say that this is going to become a trend. It's going to become more possible it's going to become more probable and i see that that two forehands and dual serving becomes a lot more will, will become a lot more common once we master teaching ambidexterity to young children for example i had a facebook poster someone who commented on my post it's actually a very well known industry leader. You guys might know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to get anyone uh, in, in, in hot water. I don't want, you know, like the black, I don't like the black, blacklist anyone or, or, you know, I don't like to name names very often on the program. I try not to. Anyway, a uh, very well-known industry leader. And he says, well, you're not respecting biology. You know, you're not respecting the human body and it's predilections and and science and what i'm saying is actually 
No, I'm saying I have a great respect for science and the human body. I just think we're, we're, we're in an era of technology and science where we're learning to master the human body and enhance the human body in both science and medicine and, and, and technology is helping, is, is helping us to, to overcome the limitations of the body. And I think that not just in tennis, but in, in other athletic arenas, we will see more and more ambidextrous players who are able to train. We're, able, we're going to be able to train their laterality. We're going to be able to train their eye dominance, their foot dominance, their hand dominance. You know, We're going to be able to train these things, and we're going to be able to train them in a scientific way. We're going to be tra- we're going to be able to train them in it uh, based on evidence, you know, not just based on opinion, but based on research and evidence. And it just makes sense to me that over the next coming decades, this will be an area that that you will see uh, uh, proliferate. Uh, the training of this this type of skill, these type of skills, will proliferate in in not just tennis but in many sports. And so I want to get on the cutting edge. I want to be on the first wave. Because I, I like to, like I said, I'm a little bored, to be honest. I'm a little bored with teaching the technique the way it just always has been. Uh, with the two-handed back, and everybody plays the same nowadays. It's kind of boring. You know, I teach all my top juniors the same. I've built a lot of top national players. I'll just be honest with you guys. I'm not, I'm not saying that to blow my own horn, but, but you guys should know I, I'm not like... A joke of a coach like I'm a serious coach I train a lot of top kids and they all they're all the same most of them have what and if any of you out there train national rank kids you know what I'm talking about they got a semi-western forehand you know probably with some topspin they got a good two-handed backhand they move well and then you teach the serves you know you teach a slice of flat and a kick serve if you're you know a good technical coach and you teach the kid how to move, and they're going to be nationally ranked if they're a good athlete. It's actually not that difficult. If they're willing to work hard and, you know, they're pretty athletic, you know, you give them those skills, and everyone plays the same nowadays. Maybe if you're ambitious, you give them a slice backhand, and you teach them a good all-court game, good complete game at the net as well. But, I mean, you know, it's pretty easy. It's boring. You know, we do it, it. It's not that difficult. It, it's the same blueprint for all these kids, you know. And so I'm just trying to think outside the box and think about, you know, what would be a new challenge for me as a technician? How can I, how can I teach something new and cutting edge and and something that that harkens to the future? And what's also possible with with the new developments in science and technology. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And for me, it's a great challenge to try to teach a kid to be, to to have two forehands. You know, that's a unique technical challenge. And I'm going to get to a couple comments here because I see some comments are coming on the board. And it's also a unique challenge to teach the footwork, to teach the, the, the mirror image footwork, the, the symmetrical footwork. And I think maybe the biggest challenge of all, the biggest, uh, say, holy grail, I would say, let's call it the, the, the holy grail, would be the two serves. And I think the two serves, both lefty and righty, the ambi serving, the ambidextrous serving, the symmetrical serving is 
the holy grail of the highest level of, of tennis technique for the future. And I really want to challenge myself as a technician and as a hardware coach, how, how can I do that? How can I teach that in an efficient way and increase the learning curve, you know, like accelerate the learning curve so that players can actually learn it in a reasonable amount of time? Because one of the main criticisms of teaching ambidextrous tennis, ambidextrous strokes, is that it's going to take too much time and it will take away from other you know, there's an opportunity cost that you're losing by spending a lot of time on both lefty and righty skills. So I want to figure out a method, a system for teaching technique in an ambidextrous way, both lefty and righty, symmetrical, in a symmetrical fashion, but I want to, I want to learn how to do it really fast so it, it's, it's achievable for a lot of kids, not just really talented kids, or unbelievably ambidextrous and athletic kids, like for a lot of kids. So that's sort of what I'm interested in pursuing, uh, both you know personally, professionally, as a technician, and also I think there are a great many benefits for my students, for the players, including fewer injuries. And that's really, I think, the big selling point, is that if you can play ambidextrously, if you can play symmetrically, you're going to get fewer injuries. And that's the case I would like to make, you guys can disagree or agree. We can have a debate about it, but I think the loads and the stresses that you're going to see on the on the joints and the muscular system are going to lessen, uh, and the repetitive use injuries are going to go down. The percentage of repetitive use injuries statistically will go down if we have more players playing with, with uh, more balanced. They're, they're playing. With, they're building their bodies in a balanced way. They're developing their bodies in a balanced way. And they're using both sides of the body more, more evenly rather than focusing all the work on one shoulder, which is uh, a big issue in tennis. You know, tennis destroys the body in many ways, and it creates tremendous imbalance in the body, to be, especially becoming a high-level tennis player. You develop incredible imbalance in the, the muscular system, for example. So uh, we can talk about that more, but let me get to a few of your comments here. I see that we have some interesting thoughts and a lot of friends tuning in. Guys, I really appreciate you tuning into my program, especially late on a Sunday night. And I appreciate the, the thoughts and the comments that you guys share. And I appreciate all the waves. I know we've had a, a bunch of waves. I didn't, I didn't, do any shout outs yet tonight, but guys, I see a lot of waves on the board and I'm, I'm very happy to have old friends and new friends on the show. And you guys are what keep me going after a long weekend of teaching, you know, 24 hours plus on the court. It is, um, you know, it's, it's not easy sometimes to, to get the energy to do the show, but then I think about all, all the friends tuning in and the lively discussions and I get pumped up and then, I want to do it, you know, and, and hopefully the show will continue to grow. Michael Furman says, two guns are better than one. And he's got a thumbs up on that. And that's sort of what I'm arguing. Two guns are better than one. We know the forehand can generate more RPM than the backhand. So let's just not do the backhand. Let's get two forehands going. No weaknesses and Super strengths on both sides. Two guns, exactly. Jim Kane says, young kids agree. 
And what he's agreeing to is that if we're going to do more symmetrical training, ambidextrous training, it has to be started very young. And, at, and I'm talking about the athletic training. The athletic training has to start very young. And I believe it starts, it can start as young as, you know, one, two, three years old. And I'm not joking. I, that means, you know, having a kid throw a ball with both arms, not just one. You know, it means training, you know, it means having kids do kicking a ball with both feet, not just one, you know, left and right, like I did with my kids. You know, I said, hey, kick it with your right foot to my daughters and my son. Hey, kick it with your left foot now. You know, it starts with simple things like that. Maybe in other areas too that you know, I have to study more. I want to do more reading about the science and uh, what, what technologies we have to help train ambidexterity. Uh, I, I will admit to you guys, I'm not an expert yet, but it's a, obviously an area of great interest for me, and I will be doing more research and study in this area. I do like to, I have a great curiosity, so I like to learn. And I'm interested in, you know, maybe in school, does it help to develop writing capacity in both hands? For example, are there are there other areas uh, of childhood development where we can enhance and encourage children to be to use both both hands or both feet? You know, and how can we also train the eyes? How how can we train the eyes to be uh, to develop uh, uh, maybe a co co dominance in the eyes rather than having one eye more dominant than the others? Things like that. You know, those things interest me. How do we develop coordination in both sides of the body for young athletic kids? You know, this is an area of research that I'm very interested in. If we're going to start teaching dual hand forehands, you know, two uh, lefty and righty forehand, if we're going to start teaching dual hand serving, lefty and righty serving, symmetrical serving, we definitely need to have little kids doing a lot of activities and developing skills with both sides of their body. Obviously, I think that helps. I think it's going to be very difficult to introduce ambidextrous training to kids when they're when they're older, and it, it may be a futile effort. It may be a big waste of time for an older child who doesn't have those qualities baked in. It may not be possible, you know. Nick Wagner says, "Nick, thanks for joining the program. Nick is uh, an old friend of mine and a very good high performance coach in the Northeast here." Nick says, I keep seeing the major argument against two forehands is that the switching of hands makes it too slow to be a major advantage. Thoughts? Right. So, you know, with, with every new idea, with every revolutionary idea, there are people who stick with, they, they stick with old arguments and they have sort of a closed mind about what is possible. And I think this is a, a, an area where people keep saying that you can't do the grip change, and I just don't think that's true. I think the grip change is a, an obstacle that can be overcome. And one of the things specifically that we have done is I and, and some of the, my coaches uh, at my summer academy, we played around with different grip structures, and we think that we have a way to hold the racket in a centralized way, it's like, I call it the central grip, or sometimes I call it the prayer grip. It's kind of like you're saying a prayer, and you hold the racket with both hands, 
at the bottom. In other words, you don't stagger the hands like you typically see in, in the way players hold the racket nowadays. And I think we've come up with a solution to that issue. So, Nick, the answer is I think there's a way uh, to hold the racket, and I'm teaching a few of my players that now, that they can hold the racket in using the prayer grip or the central grip, the centralized grip. I don't have a better name for it at the moment. I, this is uh, you know experimental teaching that I'm doing, technical teaching. I like to call it the prayer grip, it's, or the preacher grip. And so you kind of hold the racket in, uh, you cup the racket handle in both hands, and then you're able to make the switch from there. If you guys want me to demonstrate that, I'll show you what it looks like. And one of the boys who I'm coaching right now, Santiago, who is very ambidextrous, and I'm teaching him two forehands, he is he's training with that grip change. And it takes a little getting used to, but it's definitely possible. Definitely possible to use that, that uh, style of holding the, the handle without giving up any length on the, on the racket. Because that is a, a major question that a lot of people have. A lot of people raise their hand and say, well, you're, you're going to have one forehand that's shorter than the other, so that's obviously not going to work, and you're not going to be able to change grips fast enough for the return of serve and things like that. But I think we've completely overcome that with the way, the way we're doing it. So if you guys want me to demonstrate that, I will. I have my trusty racket here to demonstrate some technical things. Uh, it's called the preacher grip. And then the players have to practice sliding. They have to practice shifting their hands up and down uh, in, in very much the same way that double-handed players, uh, players with two forehands do now. Players with two forehands currently do that, or some players have two backhands, uh, double-handed on both sides, and they, they do those shifting of the hands now. You know. All right, we had a comment saying, yes, please, for the demo. All right, so I'll show you the demo. All right, hold on. Let me set this up. Let's see if I can do it. All right. So the, what it looks like, it's pretty cool, actually. I'll show you. All right, can you see that, guys? All right, so what you do is, all right, here we go. You guys still there? Hey, all right. So you got the racket, and normally, you know how, how players hold the racket staggered, either like this or like, like this, you know? And if you're going to have two forehands, you can't do it that way because then the, the grip change will take too long. And if you go to a forehand, like if I go to a forehand on this side, I'm too choked up and I lose too much length in the racket here. And that's going to shorten my reach, which undermines the whole reason of having two forehands because you want to have more reach, not less. And you will have more reach with two forehands. You'll be able to track down more balls because you'll be able to do, you'll be able to do two uh, forehand squash shots, and you'll be able to stretch out farther. You have more reach when you stretch with an open stance and a forehand than you do with a closed stance and a backhand slice, for example. See, currently, right now, when players are in trouble, they they use a backhand slice, and typically they stretch out wide with a closed stance. But you can get much farther out wide with an open stance and a forehand squash shot than you can with the closed stance slice. I'm pretty certain of that. I mean, we can do the measurements, but uh, let me know if you agree with that or not, if anyone disagrees with that. 
So, so right now, players will usually, when they're in extreme trouble, they will squash shot with the forehand. And what I'm saying is you'll have two squash shots basically on both sides, and it'll be, you'll be able to cover a little more territory, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but the way the game's evolving, the speed of the game, the geometry of the game, the modern game, I think it makes a big difference. So anyway, getting back to what I'm saying is you have to hold the grip down here, and you can hold it. You, you, the thumbs stay on top. I don't know if you can see that. The thumbs stay on top of the handle, and then the fingers... The fingers either wrap around like that, or they can they can wrap around like that. You can see that, or they can interlock. Like right now, one of my students is interlocking, which I'm not so sure if that's the best way to do it. But we're sort of you know we're experimenting here a little bit. Uh, you could also hold it. You can also hold it in your palms and in your and not in, so much in the fingertips. You can sort of cup the handle in your palms like that okay. like that or like that and what happens is when you need to switch to a forehand you you slide up that way or you slide up that way lefty and righty and you get real good at this you get real fast at this I'll show you from another view. You're here, you slide up, and the player is going to practice this until they become like a speed demon with this. See that? You got to become really fast with that movement. It reminds me of the way Su Wei, I don't know if you guys know Su Wei Xie, you know, her, she's from Taipei, Chinese, I think Chinese Taipei, Su Wei Xie. Is her name. If you look up Suwei, she's double-handed on both sides. So she's not single-handed on both sides. But if you, you ever get a chance to watch her play up close, and I got to watch her at, at the last few U.S. Opens. I love her game. And she has this amazing hand movements that I'm showing you. Very similar. She'll go, she's constantly, and double-handed players do this. They, 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 they constantly go... They're, they're moving up and down like this, you know? So they have this sort of, sort of um, uh, skill that they develop, this uh, agility with the hands. And so what I'm saying is, you have it down here, you're in the, you're either the prayer grip, the, or you're interlocked, or you're cupping, or you you're, you're have uh, fingers over, one hand over the other, and then you have this movement here, and that way, you don't give up any reach on the handle. Very important that you, you never lose reach on the handle. If you, you can't have it this way. You can't have it one, one forehand here and the normal forehand here. You can't have a forehand that's too choked up. And there's a, a well-known Russian player. I think the only Russian player to have two forehands, two single-handed forehands, and her name... Is I'm not gonna be able to pronounce it right now. I have it. I have it written down. It starts with uh, okay, Kukulaskaya or I'm sorry, guys. I don't have the the pronunciation with me right now. But she was about top hundred from Russia, and she she had actually had two forehands on the tour back in the 90s. A lot of people don't realize that that there was one player that had two forehands at top hundred.
in the in the nineties. Maybe she was one. I think she was top hundred. Maybe one one fifty. I think it was top hundred. I think she broke the top hundred. And but I I watched. There's a few clips of her game on online, and one of the issues was one side one side was choked up, which is a big drawback. You know, you don't want to have one side that's a really short uh, short reach. And you want to have the full length of the racket for power. So that was an issue. And I overcame it with this uh, grip idea. So the hands have to be low. You know what I'm saying? All right. Let me know if you have any question about that. I hope I explained that, how it worked. That's called the preacher grip or the, the prayer grip or whatever other grip name you want to use, guys. But it overcomes the reach situation. And it overcomes the situation on the return of serve because you, you're gonna you're gonna wait for the return of serve with the with those grips as well, and the the change is just as fast as any other change for any other stroke, you know. But you get two big forehands instead of one. All right, there's a lot of uh, comments being posted, so I'm gonna try to scroll down here and get to some of your answers. I'm sorry for being long-winded, guys. Boy, we didn't even get to any of my other topics tonight. Uh, we're just blowing up the blowing up the Facebook live with with the two-handed forehand idea, the the ambidexterity uh, case, the case for ambidexterity, the case for symmetry in technical training. It is a very interesting idea. You know, I, I like to challenge you guys to think outside the box a little bit, even though I get a lot of hate mail because of it. So Nick said that the switching of the hands is a, a major disadvantage. I answered that. I said, I think it can be overcome. Okay. And Jeremy Jacobs says, I almost completely agree with you, Chris, because it's definitely not easier going with a one-hander. Okay, this is a long comment here. Because there are far too many upsides going and staying with the two-hander. Okay. So he's saying he almost disagree, disagrees with me, but I think there's going to be a but coming here. There is a however. Okay, however, if an individual has naturally fast and explosive movement with great agility, with the courage to fight for position and to really step in and go over the single-handed backhand, the likes of Team, Shapovalov, Vavrinka, Gasquet, and on recent years, Roger, if they're looking to do something with the single hander beyond just keeping it in play, then I'd encourage that and say all the power to them. The two handers have far more upsides to them, but sometimes I do fear without the proper ambidexterity, the two handers are potentially more prone to injury due to lack of fluidity and overall strength and stability. Well, I mean, what you're saying is a very typical argument that you hear a lot. It's not uncommon, uh, Jeremy Jacob. Thank you so much for your comment and your thoughts. But it's a very typical case that you're making that, that you know, the, the one-hander can be good and that the two-hander is pretty good. I haven't heard the argument that the two-hander can cause more injury. I know some people are worried about the ulnar deviation on the two-hander for uh, where injured, it may injure the wrist with too much ulnar deviation. That's where the wrist turned down in a very extreme way on a two-hander. But I've heard a lot of, a lot of coaches argue that the two-hander is, 
is uh, safer for the body. It causes fewer injuries because the arms are sharing some of the work. They're sharing some of the load. And that, that argument seems to make some sense to me. Uh, we'd have to maybe check with some biomechanists or sports scientists if that's actually true. I believe, I believe that is true. And the two-hander does offer some more support for the high-speed game. I think, if anything, uh, the two-hander, in my opinion, is, is better. It's, a, it's an evolution over the one-hander. But my point is that over time, I, I see very clearly that the next evolution over the two-hander is a one-handed forehand. And you just need to overcome the challenges of ambidexterity. And, and you know, Nick mentioned the grip change issue. So I see that as a clear pathway evolution. I know a lot of people don't see it that way. They sort of see the two-handed backhand as maybe the highest, the highest level of, of what a ground stroke can be on the backhand side, on the left side. And I just don't think that's true. To me, it would be better to have two heavy forehands. Like Nadal would be better with two Nadal forehands. Imagine. You know, imagine two Nadal instead of, and his backhand's pretty darn good. And with the one-handers, I just, I, whenever I see one-handers playing now, I know there's, you, you mentioned some great one-handers, and there are some next-gen one-handers, but how many one-handers do we see percentage-wise on the Pro Tour? Not that many, right? Why is that? Why is that, guys? If you look back to the mid 20th century, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s even, the, the percentage of one-handed backhands on tour was probably 90%, 95%. I mean, we've seen an incredible, seismic, drastic change and evolution on the backhand side where now the ratios... The ratio is almost completely flipped around, turned upside down, where most pros nowadays have what? They have two-handers on the backhand side. I mean, the one-handed backhand is almost extinct. Let's be honest. Let's just put it in the proper historical context. Is it surviving with, with a few top men who are very talented? Yes, it is. And you mentioned the names. But on the women's side, it really is virtually almost virtually extinct. There are, I haven't checked recently, but how many players in the top 100 women have a one-handed backhand? Could it be zero? I, ha I have to check. Can someone check? It's not that many. It's a lot fewer than the men, and the men don't have that many. They have less than... Uh, 20%, between 10 and 20% at last check. I mean, that's not, that doesn't bode well for the one-hander guys. If you look at the trend of where the one-hander's going since the mid-20th century, the one-handed backhand is very close to flatlining. You know, it's very close to what we say in the, the EMT and ambulance world, coding out. Very close to flatlining here. Very near, near. Uh, is having, the one-hander is having a near-death experience here. And some people would like to think that the one-hander will come back, but I just see a lot of 
inefficiency biomechanically. I just think the one-hander is inherently biomechanically disadvantaged to the two-hander and even more so to a forehand. And so I'm saying I just don't I just don't see a future for that stroke. And I don't see I think it's crazy when I see players stepping across their body with a closed stance very far out wide uh, for a one-handed shot or even for a two-handed shot. You see a lot of two-handed players that still step very closed for their uh, backhand. And it just doesn't look right to me. It's not symmetrical. It's not efficient. They haven't learned to load their, their outside leg and they haven't learned to use the, the non-dominant side of their body well enough to hit uh, with open with more open stands and eventually what I'm saying is to develop that side of the body where they can just hit a forehand on that side and just even the footwork pa- the footwork pattern for me needs to be more open on the back end I myself have a one-hander I, I like my one-handed back end but every time I find myself stepping across to hit it stepping into the ball like you're saying it just I I sort of feel a little sad for myself. I say, well, that's the way I do it, but man, I wish I could just go open stance right now and rip my forehand on this side. I wish I didn't have to close up my stance like this to hit a good one-hander. You know, and, and there may be some more... You are seeing uh, the, uh, the evolution of the one-hander with a little more open stance, which is good. But I'm just saying, let's, let's just call a spade a spade. The one-hander's not that... It's not a superior shot biomechanically. Why? Because it doesn't get... It has a bigger loop to get the same amount of power as a two-hander and as a forehand, and it can't generate the same amount of RPMs. A pace, it may be able to generate the same amount of pace, but with a much bigger backswing, which is not ideal. So it just, you know, biomechanically, it's a disadvantage. And in addition to the biomechanics of it, it's also a lot of stress on that shoulder. To me, it's very antiquated to try to hit all the tennis strokes at a world-class level at the speeds that we're hitting at nowadays on one shoulder. I think that's insane. And one wrist and using one elbow. I think it's nuts. It's so much stress and load on that arm. And I know there, there are different movements biomechanically, but I think it's crazy to try to put that much load at the speeds that the ball's coming, that much stress on one side of the body, on one shoulder, one elbow, one wrist. I think it's nuts. The same thing with the serve. I think the idea that you want to serve, let's say, 100 serves in a match off of one shoulder, and you want to do that over and over again, match after match, uh, at the level of matches the guys are playing, the guys are playing how many matches per year? You, You know, the guys are, I mean guys and girls, you know, the guys and the women, they're, there, there's so many injuries on the tour right now because players are playing too much. And we need to address that with the tournament schedule. But what I'm saying is you could cut your serve count in half if you learn to serve with both arms. Immediately, you would have 50% reduction in your, your serve count per match because you could equal it up. You could you know, serve on the deuce side, righty. You could serve on the ad side, lefty. And you'd immediately reduce your serve count by half for, for, for what it would normally be with one shoulder. And I think that's very 
significant, you know, scientifically significant in terms of injury prevention, very significant because we know that the higher the, the pitch count or serve count, you know, so to speak, pitch count, the more likelihood there, be, there will be of, of inflammation and injury, overuse injury. So if we can share the load and share the work between both shoulders when serving, I think we see a dramatic decrease in shoulder injuries, not only in professional players, but also in, in juniors where we see almost an epidemic level of shoulder issues right now, you know, specifically with the rotator cuff, but, you know, also to a lesser extent with the elbow and the wrist and the, um, uh, potentially with the back even, you know, you, we, we see so many injuries right now in kids and that's because they're serving too much. They're playing too many matches and they're playing too many sets and they're serving too much with only one shoulder. They're creating a lot of imbalance and they're, they're putting a lot of load on that joint and on those, on that, on that, on the muscles there and the tendons and the ligaments. And what we could do is we could, if we taught ambidextrous serving, we could, we could cut that in half and take a lot of stress off the, the, the quote unquote dominant shoulder. So let me know, know what you guys think about that. Let me try to get to a few more comments here. I know I've been slow to getting to everyone. I'm sorry for the delay. We've got a lot of posts tonight, a lot of comments, a lot of thoughts. I really appreciate you guys sharing, especially late on a Sunday night. Gordon Paul says, Gordon's a regular on the show. He says, are you saying teaching everybody two forehands or only those who are capable of it? I am saying teach only those who are capable of it. But what I'm also saying is we will develop the science and technology to make many more people capable of doing it. And so in the end, we will see this style of playing become much more prevalent because more people will be able to do it. And when more people start to do it, other people will take notice, other players will take notice, other coaches will start teaching it. And that's how new technique enters the mainstream. So right now, it will take a very ambidextrous kid and a very progressive parent who's maybe introducing ambidextrous skills to their young child at two, three, four, five years old, and so on. And there are some kids even now on the national circuit. There's one boy who is a five-star playing with two forehands. I believe he's serving both sides. And that must have taken a lot of work on the parents' part to, to train that child from a young age, you know, to, to train some of the skills at a young age and some natural talent as well, some innate ability. But my point is that we'll be able to train this more in the future with, with advancements in technology, with advancements in scientific research, and, and therefore you will see many more players choosing to play uh, lefty and righty, to play more symmetrically because of all the benefits I mentioned in terms of injury prevention. But there are also a lot of tactical benefits in terms of reach, which I mentioned before, in terms of getting more spin and power on shots. And, and uh, there will be some tactical implications, some tactical benefits of being able to play two forehands on both sides. You're going to have some different ways that you can slice off both sides. And you may be able to open up the court better with more angles on both sides. You may be able to play 
heavy topspin high balls on both sides more effectively. The defense may be better because you can reverse. You can reverse the, the both forehands where right now you can't reverse the backhand when you're caught on the defense. The backhand gets kind of stuck, especially two hands. So that's sort of what I'm talking about. There will be some tactical advantages, both defensively and offensively. There is a reach advantage because you can play two squash shots. You have more reach on both sides. And there'll be the, 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 uh, the injury prevention advantage. So I just think you'll see more players uh, adopting this, this style once it's proven to be you know, possible. And, and once there's a method to do it, and especially if there's a breakout player, all you need is a breakout player who's maybe top 100, top 50, uh, maybe, uh, maybe a Grand Slam winner, you know, maybe the, uh, the first dual-handed Grand Slam winner. And I, I could make that prediction tonight that maybe in the next, I don't know, 50 or 100 years, maybe we'll see the first lefty-righty Grand Slam winner. We've seen Bartoli. Did Bartoli win Wimbledon? I think she did or made finals. Bartoli was uh, an ambidextrous player who won, uh, won a Grand Slam. How about Monica Sellis? Monica Sellis is a very, very famous uh, future uh, former number one who played uh, ambidextrously, uh, double-handed, again, off both sides on the women's tour. And she won multiple Grand Slams. She was unstoppable in the 90s. And I believe she ushered in an era of many players copying her style. That's why I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bartoli was one of them. And a number of other players too, uh, female players, copied Monica Sellis. So that's what it's going to happen. That's what it's going to take to happen on the men's side. We just need a men's player to gain some notoriety, to gain some fame, and to win some big tournaments either double-handed or preferably with, in my opinion, uh, two forehands would be better. Two single-handed forehands would be better than two double-handed forehands. Because we have had some good players with double hands. can think of some names. I, I've done a lot of research on, on, the, on the ambidextrous players out there. But, you know, you think of Fabrice Santoro and maybe Jan Michael Gamble. And they were pretty successful players, but maybe not popular enough for it to catch on with the mainstream and maybe just not enough kids are showing enough ability to do it maybe not enough coaches are willing to try it you know so there's a lot of factors involved all right i see my buddy scott scott kaufman is waving thank you scott for waving got a lot of waves here guys i'm sorry not to give as many shout outs today let's see what jim kane says i'm trying to get to a lot of the comments because we have a very lively comment board tonight let's see jim kane says possibly a company like head may create a racket like the Battistoni double-handed racket which may help uh pick up players and i i think that's true i think there you know people don't realize that that the the technology in rackets can can change and that there's room in the rules of tennis in the rules uh stipulated by the itf there's there's a range of players who there's a range of like a spectrum for for the specs. The, the specs are not fixed. There's there's a specifications for rackets and racket technology that allows some creativity. And one of the creative one of the creative devices that 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 was um, 
built was by this this guy. What's the dude's name? His name is, let's see if I can remember it off the top of my head. Sorry, guys, it's getting a little late. What's the dude's name? He created the double-handed racket. If any of you guys know, let me know. But basically, he, he's got a couple versions of the double-handed racket. And the Battistoni brothers started playing with it. I think they may have invested in the company or something. But, you know, the double-handed racket, it hasn't really caught on as well as they would like. But I think the basic idea of playing natural of playing naturally off both sides is is a very sound it's a very sound argument a very good thesis and hypothesis that we should try to play with balance off both sides you know that's one of the arguments for the for the natural racket is that we should play more natural we should play more balanced and i think that argument the essence of that argument is is very sound now i don't know about the rackets themselves I, I, I know some players who have used those rackets and like them, but you know th that's a separate discussion. I'm saying the argument underlying or supporting the use of those rackets, the argument for balance and symmetry in tennis is a very good argument because a lot of injuries in tennis are due to imbalance, the imbalances created on the body by hitting so many tennis balls on one side of the body, especially with the serve. And... And I think that we have to admit that tennis wrecks havoc on the body, it it because it's it's so unil it, it's so unilateral, and we should try to find ways to teach tennis in uh, bilaterally, so that so that players can develop more balance balance in the body and the muscular system, and and also so that that we can reduce injury, we can have fewer injuries. Uh, let me go. Let me know what you guys think. Let me get through some of these comments here. Got a very lively discussion tonight. Very interesting talk, guys. Appreciate all your intelligent comments. Thank you so much for tuning in with me this late night. Uh, Peter Banyas, my my buddy, very good coach and very high level player, says, "Would you demonstrate here is called a revolution, or what you demonstrate here is called a revolution?" I think that the idea of, of systematically training two forehands and two serves is uh, definitely a, a revolutionary idea. I think it's a groundbreaking idea. I don't think it's been talked about in the mainstream very frequently. So yeah, I think it is a revolutionary idea. I'm not saying I'm the first person to ever think of the idea, but I think I'm definitely one of the first coaches to, to put my name out there and stake my reputation and say that that you know this is a perfectly legitimate way to play and we shouldn't be shy about trying to figure out how to train players this way it's not that big a deal you know i i'm i think i'm one of the first uh, high level you know junior coaches to sort of say hey you know not that big a deal we can train players this way in fact there are some advantages to training players this way so my my the reason that I'm sort of speaking out and writing about this and talking about it is that I just think somebody's got to step up and, and just call it, call it the way it is and say, you know, look, it's, it's a pretty good idea. And maybe we can all come together and think about ways to train players more symmetrically. And I, I think it's a very noble, I, a noble project. The reason why it's noble is because we will increase the level of tennis players can play better with with different tactics better tactics and 
a better reach and things like that, a heavier ball, big, bigger weapons, but also because we can reduce the amount of injuries in junior tennis and pro tennis. So that's sort of my ulterior motive here. It's a noble project because we can potentially reduce a lot of injuries. Uh, the epidemic level of injuries that we, that we see in tennis, you know, by making the, the basic way we teach tennis uh, symmetrical, more symmetrical, more balanced, more natural, as the Battistoni brothers like to say. So that's sort of what I'm, where I'm coming at, and I think that is a relatively uh, revolutionary idea, yes. Uh, Bo Berglund is a regular on the show. Thanks for waving, Bo. Appreciate it, buddy. Peter says, he says, there is a girl in Atlanta, Southern dis District, who uses two forehands. She has two coaches, each of them in charge of each forehand. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Uh, yes, there's actually a number of players now. There's one player playing top division one. I believe he was a five-star who is uh, uh, ambidextrous and plays with two forehands and two serves. And there's another one in the 12th division who is a five-star. And he is playing with uh, two hands, you know, same, same setup, two-handed forehand. I'm sorry, uh, single-handed, uh, two forehands, lefty and righty, and serving uh, with both sides. You know, I think the serving is critical. We have to teach players to serve with both shoulders because it will dramatically reduce injuries in the shoulder. If we, if we are able to figure out how to teach, I know it's hard. And that's what I said. I said, it's a good challenge for, for all of you who are interested in teaching technique. Embrace this challenge. Take on the challenge. How can we teach it quickly and efficiently? Both sides. How do we do it? Because if we are able to do it and unlock symmetrical serving, unlock that for players, we're going to reduce injuries dramatically. That's my argument, okay? Jim Kane says, the Russian Yevgenia Kulikovskaya. Yes, I believe that's the name, Jim. Thanks for digging up that research. And do you know if she was top 100? Did she make like some 90 WTA? Or did she not break the top 100? Was it top 150 or 130? But she's probably the, the most well-known player I can think of who played single-handed forehands off both sides, who was relatively successful. But I think her issue was that she choked up. She had her hand staggered on the grip, and she never innovated how to hold the racket handle. So she, she always had limited reach on one side, which is an issue. You don't want to have two forehands, one of them being really shortened. You know, you know what I'm saying? So let's see, let me get to some other comments here, guys. Let me, I'm just kind of scrolling through here. Jay says, so the butt of the racket is in the palm in the preacher grip. Yes? Yes. Jay, I think that's right. In the preacher grip, the, yes, you're sort of cupping the bottom of the racket with your palm. Yes. And that's the way we figured out uh, how to, how to solve the, the grip change and the grip reach, the, the lack of reach on one side. We, we, we learned how to solve that, that issue. Peter says, when she turned 14, they quit. And when she turned 16, she ended up having an amazing backhand. All right. So I, I know I'm not saying 
I'm not saying that all players who play asymmetrically with the forehand and the two-handed backhand are, 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 is no good. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a lot of successful players now. I, I teach most of my players play asymmetrically. They have a two-handed backhand and the, you know, regular modern forehand. And I'm just saying I'm a little bored with that, guys. Everybody plays like that, you know. I'm interested in what's the next wave. What's next? You know, what's the next gen? That's what that's what piques my curiosity. You know, I, I'm always going to have a bunch of players who can do that. I, I teach players like that all the time. They're all, you know, top in the section, top in the country, whatever. Everybody plays the same. I have a few players with one-handed backhand, you know. I still have players with one-handed backhands, which I think are still pretty cool, but I just don't think they're biomechanically advantageous they're, they're not they're not the best shot biomechanically for the future there's just some limitations on the one hander but you know players are able to overcome that you can see that that's it's possible you can overcome a lot of biomechanical inefficiencies i'm just saying I, i'm trying to identify the best possible biomechanical strokes that we could teach and i want to figure out how to teach them Okay, so let's see what else we got here on the board. What do you got? Jay says, how about a one-hander for hard and two for the clay court season? Okay, Jay, well, I think two forehands is where it's at. I'm going to keep saying that. I'm going to stick with my guns here, my two guns, and say that I would much rather have two Nadal forehands or two Federer forehands than one with the backhands that those guys have, you know, especially Federer, the one-hander. Much rather have Rafa's two-hander, to be honest. Jimmy Johnson is waving. What's up, Jimmy? How are you? If that's the Jimmy Johnson, the coach, it's great to have you on the program. It's probably more than one Jimmy Johnson, but very well-known coach. We always get some big names in the industry tuning in on the program. It's uh, nice to have you on a late night Sunday, Jimmy. Thank you very much. Peter Banya says, I definitely agree with the possibility of serving with both arms. That could work. I think serving with both arms is, is the absolute holy grail of technical training. If we could just... Figure out how to do that with a lot of kids in an efficient way. Because right now, the big problem is it takes so damn long. And so it, ha it, it would help to start really young, probably with little kids like one, two, three, four, five years old, throwing with both arms. Like there'd have to be like a systematic training protocol where we take those little tigers and, you know, you have them throw a lot and do stuff with both arms and both shoulders when they're little. And then with the idea of getting a big group of kids as they're getting older, you know, between 6 and 10, where they could start serving with both arms. And, and when you teach them serving from the very beginning, you would teach them like, you know, five serves righty, five serves lefty. Five serves righty, five serves lefty. And they would just learn both like it would just be normal. Right now, it's just weird. People think it's weird. They think it's crazy. But what if it was just normal? You know, just normal. 
Little kids would just learn how to serve with both arms. Why? Because, you, I'll say it again, unilateral serving is one of the most damaging things you can do to the body. Over the course of, a, of an athletic career, learning to just serve on one shoulder is just, it, it destroys the body. You know, it creates tremendous imbalance on that side of the body. And it causes a lot of shoulder injuries. You know, we all know that, right? I mean, that's not a, a myth, it's, it's reality. So wouldn't it be great if we just got all the little tigers together and you start having throwing balls and catching balls, lefty, righty, and then eventually they progress to serving lefty, righty in some sort of, you know, preferably research or evidence-backed with some evidence-based protocols, you know, like a standard method for teaching kids uh, ambidextrously, symmetrically, with the goal of trying to reduce shoulder injuries in tennis, to reduce overhead shoulder injuries, right? Because you're going to reduce the amount of serves by half for the, for the shoulder. You know, you're going you're to share the work between both shoulders. To me, that's the biggest reason to try to figure this out, is the, the, the preventing injuries. I know there are some advantages, you know, where you can serve lefty and righty with slice, you know, on the add and deuce. But I, I'm not even talking about that. My main thing is injury prevention and trying to reduce the prevalence of shoulder injuries in kids and pros. That, that to me is a, a very noble project. Okay, let's see. Got a lot of comments, a lot of waves, guys. Thank you so much. It may be getting late. What time is it? Yeah, it's getting kind of late, guys. I may have to go sleepy night-night soon, but let me try to get to all these last comments. I didn't even get to my other topics tonight, guys. That must mean that this is an interesting topic uh, for you guys. I know I got a huge amount of feedback on Facebook and on social media, my Instagram, my Twitter, my LinkedIn, you know, I got a big amount of feedback when I posted videos of me training one of my kids symmetrically. It got a lot of feedback, some good, some bad. Like I said, one dude told me that I should lose my coaching license and quit. That I had no no right to be teaching. Like he basically said I'm 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 a washed up coach now and I even considered such a such a preposterous idea, you know, a, a heretical. And I'm, I, it's heresy. It's heresy. It's, it's preposterous, you know. Uh, let's see. Jeremy Jacobs says, thanks for your time, Chris. Great discussion. No problem, man. Thanks for watching the show. I think it's your first time watching, Jeremy. Appreciate you tuning in. You know, catch the replays. Catch us on podcast. You know, if you like to listen to podcasts, I love listening to podcasts. So we're on, we're, we're all over the podcast now. Uh, Jim Kane says the, the Russian Kulikoskova, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have her name memorized. She, she was really good. The issue was the choke up on the right side. Yeah, that was, she never innovated the grip structure. That was her, that was a big liability, you know, to have a, 
uh, less reach on one side sort of defeats the purpose of having two forehands. You know, you can't have two forehands and less reach. You know what I'm saying, people? I'm trying to keep it real tonight. Gael Pitts Black is waving. Thank you, Gael. Regular on the program. I got all the, the friends tuning in tonight. Hugo Ball Green, up and coming, very talented coach, says, remember that name, guys. It's a very memorable name, Hugo Ball Green. He says, other than for injury prevention, serving from both sides, big advantage to find place the ball in good angles and zones. Bingo, you're right about that. There is some major tactical advantage to being able to serve with different spins and use the angles of a lefty and righty combo serve. But I am more obsessed with injury prevention. And it's incredibly noble and a worthwhile pursuit to see if we could prevent shoulder injuries on a broad scale across the tennis world, both in juniors, both in seniors, adults, and professionals, if we could reduce drastically, dramatically the amount of shoulder injuries by making the teaching of lefty-righty serving, symmetrical serving, commonplace. If we could figure out a way to make that commonplace, we could drastically reduce shoulder injuries. I'm, I'm very certain of that. Can I prove that at the moment? I can't prove that, but I think that Many sports scientists and researchers would agree with me that that makes sense based on, 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 on research that we have now that shows that the more you serve, the more you serve, the, the higher your serve count goes, the higher your risk of injury in the shoulder goes. So by reducing the serve count, we're automatically saving the shoulder. We're, we're, taking, we're, we're reducing the, the loads that are placed on the shoulder and we're going to reduce shoulder injuries. So that, to me, is the, the biggest holy grail here. And what it would take is it would take a bit of a revolution. You know, it would take a lot of coaches and parents saying, yes, we want fewer shoulder injuries. Uh, we, want, we want to embark on that journey, on that project. We want to do that. We want our kids to have fewer shoulder injuries. You know, so... It may take some time, and it, it, it will probably take a lot of uh, discussion and debate. But you know, I'm just starting. I, I'm I'm throwing my hat in the ring, and I'm and I'm saying, you know, here's how I see it. As a high perform high performance junior developer, as a, a technical uh, expert, you know, I, this is what I do. I build technique day in and day out with kids. I, I think it's possible. I think I could see the world. The tennis world coming around and and agreeing that yes, this is a good a good idea. We could we could all get behind this idea, you know. Could you imagine a world where serving with one side seems antiquated? Could you imagine that? I mean, it, it might take fifty or hundred years or whatever. Could you imagine a world like that, where people look back and said, "Can you believe in the olden days?" People served with just one side of their body. They created all that imbalance. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine people put that much stress on one shoulder? You know, I, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it, it could be pretty far into the future, but to me that's not an un, 
that's not an impossible scenario. Like that to me is, is, is within the realm of possibility. It could happen. Not next year, but it it'd take a lot of time, you know, to convince people. But to me, that's not that crazy an idea. And the same way that we look back, I mean, have you seen videos of players playing from, like from the 1920s? That's 100 years ago, people. Have you seen the way those people are playing? With one grip and all, everything is one-handed backhand and flat and chip. I mean, if you showed people in tennis, the experts, the coaches, the best players, if you showed them the technique of Rafa Nadal, if you had a time machine and you went back to the 1920s, 100 years ago, and you showed the technique of Jack Sock, okay, guys? If you showed the technique of Jack Sock or Rafa Nadal or, you know, pick your favorite player, Francis Tiafo, one of my favorite next-gen players, if you showed that technique to people from that era, Come on, they, they would think you're absolutely nuts. They would say, they would say that that is, that is impossible. It's impossible that people will be able to play like that. And they would say that those players are going to ruin their wrists and they're going to get injured and blah, blah, blah. The stroke's not going to hold up under pressure. All the myths that you hear when, when people introduce you know, revolutionary technical concepts or ideas. You, you always hear the same myths uh, from the naysayers, from the people who are very close-minded, who are very traditional, you know. So that, that's how I feel about it. You know, I think if we try to extrapolate and move ahead 100 years from now, I think it's perfectly possible that players will look back and say, can you believe that people played so unilaterally? Or can you believe that people played... Uh, one-handed backhand, I mean, that, that to me is going to be extinct in, in, in due course. But also that maybe that people played with two hands on the racket when they could play with one, because one has more reach. One is, one is better in many ways. Can you believe that people served with one side of the body? Crazy. Crazy. To create all that imbalance. How many shoulder injuries we had 100 years ago because everyone served with one side? You know what I'm saying? You know, it's just sort of a thought experiment for you guys, but, you know, why not? Why can't we teach it? Why not? Uh, you may see the same trend in other sports. This is not just a tennis prediction, but you may see the same trend in, in sports like baseball where, you know, you have the same issue. But, you know, in baseball, they're able to manage the pitch count much more carefully than in tennis. In tennis, you got to serve. You know, you got to serve every other game. And you sometimes don't have control over the, the serve count. And so the injury rate is much higher. In baseball, for example, it, it, when a pitcher is getting to a point where their, their pitch count is quite high, you know, the manager can replace them. They can get a substitute. Uh, the manager can give them a certain amount of days off so that their shoulder can rest. So it's not as front and center as in in, in a sport like uh, in a sport like baseball as compared vis-a-vis -vis to tennis because tennis is just so extreme so much extreme stress and load is placed on that one side of the body 
and a lot of times the overuse the overuse is so great because tennis players are playing too much. They're playing too many matches and they're not able, they don't have a good off season. You know, they're not able to take. Sometimes tennis players cannot take a few days off. They have to play the next week. They have to play another round, you know. So it's really a big, big deal in tennis to try to offload some stress from that, that shoulder, that quote unquote dominant shoulder, right? All right, guys, it's been a really fantastic discussion. I appreciate you guys so much for tuning in and making the show so interesting and for sharing your intelligent thoughts and comments. I will, as always, check the, the comments later this week and see if there are any updates and if there are any more questions, I will try to answer. I would encourage you guys, if you're interested in this topic, you can reach out to me directly at chris at chrislewitt.com, chris at chrislewitt.com. Believe it or not, guys, I already had some parents from around the country email me, and they're asking me to train their player symmetrically. I had uh, a nice family from California whose daughter is ambidextrous, and she's playing with two forehands, and there's no coaches there to work with her. There's nobody there open-minded enough to train her and help the family. And I'm looking forward to starting with that family in the near future. If not helping them here in New York, then helping them remotely through our online school. So if you have an ambidextrous kid out there, if, or if you're an ambidextrous player, or if you're a coach interested in learning more about my experiments and explorations into symmetrical training, please give me a shout out. Get in touch with me and we can share ideas and Maybe I can help guide you uh, on the a symmetrical journey. I do a lot of online coaching at our online school. The online school is called CLTA, Chris Lewitt Tennis Academy, clta.teachable.com. clta.teachable.com is the only online next-gen Spanish academy, Spanish Tennis Academy, but I do a lot of technical work there as well. You can learn about my online school there. You can go to chrislewitt.com, which is my main website. You can go to prodigymaker.com, which is my blog, where I post all of my articles and my, my thoughts, my commentary on tennis and high performance. And there's a lot of good articles there about technical coaching, for example. That's called prodigymaker.com. So, guys, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with me. Really appreciate the roundtable, the discussion. And I, I really appreciate you guys staying up late with me. I know many of you have taught a long weekend and you could be doing other things, but you chose to spend the evening with me uh, sharing and, and listening to my thoughts on the future of technique and tennis. So thank you guys. I want to say God bless. Have a great week. And I will see you on the next program. Remember, every Sunday night, 9.45 p.m. Lately, it's been a little bit closer to 10. 9.45 p.m. Sunday night on Facebook Live. You can catch me every night and we can talk high-performance tennis. Have a great night, guys, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the show. You can find archives of all Chris's shows at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt or search Chris Lewitt on YouTube. You can watch the live video broadcast of this program weekly on Sunday nights where you can ask questions and comment in real time on Facebook Live. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the live show. Please share our programs with friends 
and join our online community. You can join Chris Lewitt's Online Tennis Academy at clta.teachable.com or visit chrislewitt.com for more info. Chris's latest published articles and additional video resources can be found at prodigymaker.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.